Welcome to Build and Learn. My name is Colin. And I'm CJ. And today we're talking about content creation for developers. I'm realizing that the last time we recorded, you had prepped us and told us that you're going to be at Burning Man. And I saw like a couple pictures on Instagram of all the dust. I heard that there was a dust storm. So I know you probably got dusty, but what else happened at Burning Man? Also, is Burning Man one of those what happens at Burning Man stays at Burning Man type things? Or yeah, like what can you share? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting to see because this is my eighth year that I've been since 2008. And there's the meme of the OK Burner, OK Boomer for people who have been before and especially in the earlier years because it definitely changed a lot. It was extremely rough this year. It was so hot. So, I mean, dust storms are par for the course, but like a lot of people who have been before, I think part of it was because Burning Man hadn't happened in a few years. It was like everyone shaking the rust off a little bit. And even, you know, if you're having a hard time, you expect like everyone else around you to might have some of their act together, but that's kind of like everyone getting back into it. I think this year, the whole what happens at Burning Man stays at Burning Man is taking a different approach, which is that there's a lot more focus on reporting around like the impact of Burning Man, like environmentally and just in general, because like, I mean, there's no getting around the fact that like, yes, it's fun, but it's also a pretty big impact to the planet to have this festival and an event in the desert for a week with so many vehicles. We were fortunate enough to only take like three hours to get home we left at the right time some people were stuck in line for like 14 hours to get from burning man to back to reno which is like normally like a two-hour drive so it's been an interesting thing it's something that i think a lot of burners are struggling with the idea of like should we still be going should we still be doing this or like are we part of the bigger problem Mm -hmm. uh so there's a lot of fun to be had there's a lot of amazing art just the idea of building something from nothing out there is pretty amazing but at the same time, there's a lot of privilege and all of that involved in, in attending and going and being a part of that. You know, I spent way too much money on building shade structures and having all the supplies and stuff that we need. And we don't rough it by any means, but we're not in an RV either. So it's very nice tents and shades and stuff like that that we've got set up. So so it sounds like it was harsher conditions. Generally, is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Like by harder okay so the conditions were just generally harder i see yeah i mean it was like 105 110 fahrenheit almost every day and then even at night you expect it to get cool and it did eventually but it was just still hot at nighttime and yeah there's just a lot going on there and it's what you expect when you go to the desert in the middle of august but it's still yeah it's felt harder for a lot of people maybe we're just out of practice but uh Yeah, so that was Burning Man, came back. It was pretty relaxing for me, like as much as it was rough and stressful, like it was good to be away from a computer for a week. So I could get back into it and get in front of the screen when I come back and kind of think about just some time away, which could have been done on a beach somewhere just as easily, but you know, choices. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I think uh, I saw people on TikTok too, like posting from Burning Man. I'm like, so do you just turn your phone on, make a TikTok, post it, and then turn your phone off? Or are people like just on their phone? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it felt like- Reception went away pretty fast. Like the more people showed up, there was like, you'd get maybe a text message. So probably a lot of them were maybe recording and then posting when they got back. But 
and I think some camps had Wi-Fi somehow, like Starlink or something. But you know, again, it's the old OK Boomer. You know, it's like <laughs> OK, it's changed, and we've got internet out there. You got people who are hiring private chefs and having their RV brought out for them, and all this stuff. So it's definitely a display of capitalism for sure. <laughs> even though I think Burning Man wants to say that it's the opposite of that. Yeah. So that is actually like a pretty good transition because people were, even though they're out in the middle of the desert, they're still finding ways to make content. And this oh, wasn't yeah. necessarily content for developers, but they were out there making content and getting those eyeballs. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I think there was a lot more YouTubers, TikTokers and things out there this year trying to capture highlights so that they can get followers and stuff like that. But yeah, so I think, I mean, content, you know, the hustle, I guess, never stops with that. And you you know how that goes as far as there's always another week, another video or another episode of the podcast. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a hamster wheel. And I think a lot of people get burnt out super quickly and it can be really challenging to find a sustainable pattern and a sustainable set of habits to put out content on a regular basis. And if you want to grow an actual audience from what I've seen, you have to put out content for like years. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> like you can't just write 10 blog posts and expect to, you know, get a huge audience, or whatever. I guess it, it comes down to your goals with the content that you're creating. Right. Yeah. What would be some of the other goals that you might have for creating content other than building an audience? I think a lot of folks, one of the reasons that they start out is that they want to write down something that they learned for themselves later. So maybe you figure out some solution to some tricky problem and you write it down so that next time you have that problem in like three or four years from now, you can just look up your old blog post about how you did that thing and then you have the answer. Yeah. It seems though like a lot more people now are creating content with the goal of growing an audience and then trying to monetize that audience. I think on that first one, you know, I've come across stack overflows of like myself asking a question that I, and it's like, Oh, five years ago, I asked this question and today I have the same problem. Yes. And whether or not there's an answer five years ago or not is irrelevant, but I'm like, Oh, this question's so well worded. And I was like, Oh shit, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they use the same exact words that I'm like, using. Is exactly <laughs> what I would have described the problem as. But uh, I see a lot of people do this too for like, not necessarily to pad, but to create a little bit of a presence for resumes or portfolios so that, you know, a, a future employer might come across your website. And it's not just a link to your GitHub, but it might be a little bit of what you think about programming or how you approach problem solving. So I think, you know, those are all great. I think, I think a lot of people do start it with the intention of building an audience and then they realize how hard it can be. Or like in podcasting, we hear it be referred to as pod fading. So many people start podcasts and so many people don't get past that first episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was a, that's an interesting perspective. So we've got kind of like you're writing con or you're making content for your future self. Then you might have this goal of making content to help you stand out when you're doing a job search. And then finally you have the goal of creating content to build an audience that you might be able to sell to later. And I think, yeah, the latter is like much, much harder, but in, in every single case, 
no matter what kind of content you're going to create, it takes work, right? You got to like roll up your mm-hmm. sleeves and get down to business. So, and they all take a little bit of different types of effort, right? So we've got a few types of content here that we can think of. I think probably the lowest lift would be a tweet. Mm-hmm. So even just tweeting regularly, interacting with other software developers or other people in your industry, Twitter would be a form of content creation, right? It's the original microblog was the goal. And I don't know that that's necessarily how people approach it today. It's probably seen more as I'll write a blog post and then tweet a link to it. But some people like to drop their hot takes and their thought leadership on Twitter or even answering people's questions like an ad hoc stack overflow as well in case people are like having issues with something in Hotwire or whatever they might be running into that day. I think Adam Wathen and Steve Sugar like mm-hmm. were super intentional about putting out really quality tweets very consistently over a course of a like a long period in order to grow an audience that they could then sell their like I think it was to sell refactoring UI or one of their other tailwind things. And that seemed to work really well. And so what I've, after kind of like that initial search, that was probably like three, four years ago now, I've definitely seen a lot more people using Twitter purely to share like tips and tricks. And I do think that is like a really effective way to tweet. If you're just making a bunch of original content. uh, Do you think it works if you have the intention of selling though eventually, or like, do you need to kind of go into it? Like even with this show, we, are going into it as a fun project. Like, sure, we'd love to see it grow and maybe we do sponsors or something in the future. But like, I think for a lot of podcasts and I guess for if you're like pulling together like a bunch of tweets or blog posts with the intention of selling, I do worry that it it might not come across as genuine or like, you, you know, developers don't like to be marketed to, right? Is, yep. or the, is a common refrain and there's plenty of books on that. I forgot the one, there's one that recently came out that escapes me, but like unmarketing for developers or something similar to that, we'll, we'll find it and put it in the show notes, but that, you know, answering questions and building that like community of people who want to be around refactoring UI and tailwind right now, the tailwind audience almost sells to itself, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's been built, but it wasn't always that way because they needed to build up an audience of who Adam and Steve were as developers first. I guess it's possible to go into it with a goal of selling, but I think one of the keys is that you have to be creating value with those tweets. And by creating value, that's like tweeting stuff that people would find useful in their day-to-day job and that they wouldn't already know. And so there is a Rubyist who tweets stuff all the time and it is amazing. And I'm going to try to find her handle. It's like Shino. We'll, um, we'll put that in the show notes as well. What kinds of content do they? Almost always it's a screenshot of some code with like tips and tricks about how to use it. And it's JavaScript and Ruby tips and tricks. And it is solid. Another one is Sebastian from, I think he's at Podia. Yeah. So Sebastian is also like making a course, I think, or maybe a book about tips and tricks, but Sebastian also is making tons of tips or sharing tons and tons of tips on Twitter. So yeah, just going back to the original point, it's kind of like uh, tweets 
are a form of content and you can be really intentional about sharing tips and tricks that add value to developers. And that's one of the ways that you can kind of just create content. Definitely. Yeah. And I like that it's text and maybe an image, right? It doesn't have to be editing something. It doesn't have to be filming something. So I think it's a really great way to get started. And then when you're ready to go and graduate from that, you could stand up your own blog, pop up a medium, do a Substack, those kinds of more longer form blog posts, or I even would put in here newsletter type mm -hmm. content for this. I think newsletters are really, really popular right now because you, especially for someone who might want to, you know, it's amazing to say that email is still the best way to reach somebody, but you know, today it kind of is, and it's a really portable quote unquote audience that you can take with you versus, you know, on TikTok and Instagram, your audience is stuck, you know, inside of those systems and you don't have access to them. So as, as easily, right. You can still promote things in those channels, but there's been a lot of really great developer newsletters and blog posts that, that I follow when I was doing our big like integration project, I found an entire blog around like strategies and theories and best practices around integrations. And like, I read every single blog post on that blog. <laughs> wow. So I might as well drop a link to them in here as well. But it's a good example of like extremely niche. It's probably doing really well SEO wise for their agency, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. an agency that does custom software development and, and integration. And so thinking about how that might work for you in terms of if you're a freelancer, it might be a great way to get work. If you're an agency, it also might be great to get work. But again, if you're trying to get a job as a software developer, seeing how you think about things is super helpful. But again, it, it might also just mean like, hey, I wanted to learn this thing. I wrote some blog posts about it because for me, learning something, a great way to do that is to teach it to somebody else as well. I think also blog posts give you a way to build like a series of content. So you could make several articles in a row that are all like sequentially building up on top of each other. And it almost feels like a way to write maybe chapters of a book or like essays of a book, but in chunks. So you don't have to figure the entire long form book out in one shot. You can write about a very small like niche topic. And then eventually you might be able to organize all of those into something like a book, but initially it doesn't have to be, yeah, it doesn't have to be a book. Uh, there's a couple other newsletters too that came to mind. When I think about newsletters too, I think about two different kinds. There is like the kind of newsletter where someone is going to send you their own take on something. And that is almost like a blog post, sort of top to bottom, long form content that they've written themselves. And then there's another form that is like curated content throughout the week or throughout the month that gives you like a digest of things you may have missed. And so I really enjoyed Ruby Radar. That is a weekly newsletter curated by Andrew Mason and Colin Gilbert. And they will go through and find videos or tweets or blog posts. And those are the ones that are going to be the ones that bubbled to the top. And so you don't have to be mm -hmm catching every single blog post or tweet as it comes out throughout the week. Instead, you can subscribe to these newsletters. There's also like Ruby Weekly and this brand new one from Lucian called Short Ruby Newsletters that we'll drop links to down in the show notes. But yeah, I think like the curated newsletter has been really handy for me, like just being able to keep a pulse on stuff. But it's also an approach that you could take to build, again, probably to build an audience, right? Even if you're 
not necessarily creating original content. You're just being a curator of that content. So that's kind of absolutely. Approach. I subscribe to a few different language ones just because I can't keep my brain in the node community in the Ruby community in the rest community. So it's, it's good to have that and appreciate people like Andrew and Colin curating that so that we all don't have to do it on a daily basis too. We might as well use this time to amplify other creators, but Cassie, I'm blanking on where she's moved to because I don't know if she's at Netlify anymore. But um, her newsletter is great because it's got like a little challenge in it. It's got a bunch of the roundup stuff in it. And then it's just like something she learned this week. And so it's always it's something I look forward to when I get it. Uh, I think a lot of these, I can kind of become blind to the like this week, what happened in Ruby, unless I'm like really paying attention to it. But it's, uh, yeah, casadu.co slash newsletter. We'll put that one in there as well. We'll just, I think our show notes for this week are going to just be like us <laughs> shouting out so many awesome Rubyists and, and programmers who are creating content. But yeah, that's uh, blog posts and newsletters. Podcasting. Let's talk about podcasting for developers. I mean, being a software engineer and software development in general is so text oriented that it's kind of surprising that there are so many podcasts about tech because you can't, it's really challenging to explain anything about programming over audio, <laughs> but yeah, it turns out there's like a lot of concepts that are around programming that don't actually require you to explain the code. Yeah. I think this is an area that we would love feedback on too. We've gotten a little bit of it with our show, just as we're trying to figure out how we are conversational. Do we want to teach? We had a notion when we first started this of like, what do we call it? What do we want to talk about? Like, how do we just, how do we not just do what's already being done out there with our show? Because there's already going to be a show out there. So why, why put the effort into it? Because like you said, I think everyone starts this with an intention. I, I've tried doing blogs before and I'll write one blog post and then I don't come back to it for, until a year. Mm -hmm. And with this show, we've really tried to create a schedule for ourselves. So we release our show every other week, but we try to record every week. And so that gives us a catalog of back episodes that we can pull from when I'm on vacation, when you're having a meeting, whatever that might happen in the week um, so that we don't fall off the wagon here on, on podcasting. But this is definitely going to require more work than the other two options, right? What does, what does our process look like to get the show out right now? We have a scheduled weekly call. We have a giant notion doc with tons of ideas that we might want to talk about. We've got uh, in a template that we use for some show notes that we're kind of using to keep us on track. And we sit down, we record after we record, there's like an editing process. And we've like talked to other external editors about maybe paying someone to edit or should we edit ourselves? And then you know, for the first couple episodes, we experimented with different recording software and different editing software. And then ultimately you got to like host it somewhere. So yeah, there, there, it's a little bit more involved for sure. If you write a single blog post and it's useful for you and you go back and you can read that cool. If it's useful for a few other people, great for podcasting. Like I think it's, it's much more challenging because you have to be consistent and you have to constantly put out content. Otherwise, like it just becomes stale, you know, and I think people are much less likely to pick up and listen to some podcast that they see hasn't put out an episode in six months or something. So definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, like the blog post is going to show up in Google. Most podcasts don't. Right. So that's something to consider. Even if you have amazing show notes and transcripts, like it's a format that personally, if I, unless I see an episode title that's really compelling, podcast discovery is not great either. Like I can't easily search for like all podcasts about integrations because that word means a lot of different things on the internet and you know i've kind of found them in like the syntax.fm podcast or um change log things like that so we'll link some some good podcasts there's actually i think planet argon just released a, a top 10 software i don't know if it was software or rails specific podcasts that were like identified by the ruby on rails community as just like their favorites if the show's not consistently coming out or if every episode is vastly different which is another thing that we're trying to consider too. Like this episode is a little bit of a departure from, you know, we're not teaching you or talking about code specifically. We're talking about these meta topics around like your profession and how you publish and think about things. But, you know, I look for like, when does the episodes come out and have they had one recently? When you're thinking about, again, the goals for the content that you're creating, like, is your goal with a podcast to grow an audience that you can ultimately sell to, or do you want to, you know, sell ads for the podcast and try to like, you know, get sponsors as it to basically like generate leads for your other courses or content. And so I think for us, or at least for me doing this podcast is just about like having fun and kind of like hanging out and chatting about whatever. And so we're definitely trying to figure out like, the best way to go about it in the most entertaining way. And so if you have feedback, we would love to hear that. So hit us up on Twitter. Um, But yeah, again, like in terms of types of content, podcasting is going to be more investment than a blog post or a newsletter. Also more, more than a podcast. Well, podcast is just audio. So if we step up to include video, (laughs) then I think the next, the next step up is I don't know. What do you think streaming like live streaming or pre-recorded content is more challenging? I wasn't sure which one to put first. I think live streaming, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but you don't have to edit afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I take that to be easier to put out into the world. Like you don't have to have overlays and all this crazy stuff to get going. Obviously you can grow into that. So I would say live stream is a little bit easier because YouTube, I mean, I guess you don't have to edit. You could also just record and throw it over the fence too, but the better content is going to be edited just like a podcast might be. I'm curious when we get to YouTube to talk about what you find with like episode length and things like that. Because in podcasting, we try to aim for like 35 to 40 minutes. There are some shows that I listen to that are like three hours long and that works for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, TikToks, you know, or Instagrams or YouTube shorts that are super uh, incredibly short. And so with live streaming, you get video, you might have screen sharing, you might have other guests. So I think it's pretty compelling. And as we've like kind of graduated from written word to podcasting and live streaming, I think the benefit is that you really get to, feel like you know the people that you've been listening to for a really long time. You know, it's a one directional mode of communication unless you send us your feedback or engage with us on Twitter and all those other places. You start to like get to know people. Like there are people Mm -hmm. who I've made at a conference and I'm like, I feel like I already know them because I've been listening to their show or their live stream for so many years. And it's a weird 
kind of thing because it's like I have to remember like they don't know who I am, so <laughs> don't be weird. <laughs> <laughs> so live streaming definitely no editing at the end. I think some people are more intimidated by live streaming because if they make a mistake, they don't want people to see their mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. And if they haven't practiced something a bunch of times before they go and stream and they're sharing their screen and they're trying to implement something and then they fumble, they're intimidated by people judging them about not being able to figure out the problem. I think that's actually one of the huge benefits of live streaming is being able to share your thought process about how you solve problems. And so when you encounter errors, you can actually like go through the, your like step-by-step process to track down where the error is and how to fix it versus when you're in a medium that's pre-recorded like YouTube, you might do like 10 takes or something and like have zero errors. And you, there's a lot of folks on YouTube that will go through and edit out everything so that it comes out flawlessly, which I think presents an unrealistic view of what software development is, right? Like you're not going to not makes you look like a genius. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've done a little bit of live streaming, probably like, I don't know, 25, 30 live streams. And I, I think they're, yeah, they're great because you don't have to edit, but they also are much longer because you're usually figuring things out as you go. And they do have the added benefit of you're going to run into errors and people will see that. When it comes to YouTube and pre-record, I prefer that like format better because there are okay, my like my preference is to record and then include or like keep the errors in the end result. But if if it takes me like 10 minutes to figure out what's going on, then I will like speed it up so that someone doesn't have to sit mm-hmm. there and watch me like Google around for 10 minutes to figure out what, what went wrong. Yeah, it also allows you to kind of like gather your thoughts, say something, maybe say something a couple different ways or a couple different times, and then take the best version of that so that you come out with a much more polished video. I think a great example of this is the Fireship IO, like learn X in 100 seconds. Those videos are so tight and so polished and they're like so high quality, but they're also, I'm sure insanely high effort to produce. I think if you're just starting out with video content, I would say try both, like try live streaming and try pre-recording. And you don't necessarily have to go to Twitch for live streaming. If you want to just start with YouTube, you can stream to YouTube and you can do a pre-records on YouTube. So that, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like where I would start. With live streaming, I found, I mean, there was a while that I was just going on Twitch and looking for like people that I would like to watch. And like you mentioned, like some of them can be a little bit like they're putting on like a live show and whatever they're doing, there's, they've got crazy triggers and (laughs) emotes and, and hype trains and all that stuff going on because they have such an audience. But two of the ones that I found that were really interesting, especially during COVID and now as I think they're probably just like a permanent fixture was mastermind IO and coding garden. These are two channels where they literally run like true boot camps, fully f- like for free live streamed. And there's like GitHubs and co- like Google docs and all sorts of documentation for you to follow along. And I think like, you can't just jump in anywhere. I think you're supposed to like start with the cohort and follow along, but they're like scheduled. Obviously that means that the person streaming has to be online at a certain time 
right? And versus YouTube, you don't have to be like, oh, I got to go live stream, but something's happening in my life that doesn't let me do that. Like with podcasting, we can move this around. With YouTube, we can move around the editing and the shooting. With live stream, you are live, right? That's a big thing that we have to think about, but you also get live feedback. So when they're doing the boot camp, people are asking them questions and other students or the instructor can answer live. Even some podcasts I listen to now live stream the recording of it and then they're taking live questions, right? Like having people ask us questions right now probably would throw us off a little bit, but it could make a more interesting show too. So it it starts to create more of a conversation as we get into these more challenging to create content is that you start to get this like back and forth that podcasting doesn't have. We are listed in a podcasting player that has comments, but I went through and I was hard pressed to find any comments left by anyone else on any other podcast that I listen to. So that feels like a build it and they will come situation mm-hmm. where it's like, maybe if Apple did that in Apple podcasts or if Overcast did it, maybe enough people would do it. But trying to get everyone to move over to a different podcast player just to leave comments is, is a challenge. Whereas YouTube has comments, Twitch has comments. And like you mentioned, you can live stream on YouTube just as easily as, as on Twitch too, depending on what audience you're trying to reach. Yeah, totally. When you were learning how to code, did you use video at all? And like, do you use video now to learn how to do certain things? I do still, yeah. So I would say when I was learning, that's actually a good question, but definitely like day to day, I will still go look for a video. Like I really love like there's also other ways you can make content as video for things like similar like go rails and egghead i think you can become a contract like content creator on egghead and then i used to use pluralsight a lot too uh and so just being able to find like i think for pluralsight there was one thing when i was doing a node a few years ago it was like I need to do Jot token authentication with node and it's like okay there's a video specifically for that I've wasted two hours doing this. I'm going to just pay for Pluralsight and use this video that some creator is getting paid from Pluralsight for making, which is another way to think of it, right? These don't have to be all private or public videos. They could be paywalled as a part of something like Pluralsight or Chris has done a really great job with GoRails and you see some, I think like Ruby Katas and some of those other things that have existed in the past. For me... I think it was in college, I had this realization that that I could learn things way better from video than from reading. And so yeah. everyone has different learning styles or whatever. For me, I was really struggling in this linear algebra class and I found some MIT OpenCourseWare video a series about linear algebra. And I was like, holy moly, this makes way more sense than trying to like learn it from the book. And I feel like the teacher probably wasn't giving very good lectures or whatever. And so... That for me was like the beginning. And then when I deployed to Afghanistan and I was like doing all this networking stuff, I found these things called CBT nuggets, which were like CBT stands for like computer based training, like really old school stuff. But this guy, Jeremy Chiara made these CBT nuggets about all this Cisco networking stuff. And I would just devour it like tons and tons and tons of videos and hours and hours and hours of videos. And I like absolutely love learning from video. And so for me, that is like the number one learning style. And as a result, I feel like super passionate about creating video content. And so, yeah, I think 
having talked to some devs, a lot of them say, oh, I never learn anything from video. I can't, I can't like pick up these concepts from video. Instead, I have to like have written text like from a book or from a blog or whatever. But I think if you, if you look at the data, a lot of people are, especially people who are early career right now coming into tech, they're learning from video. And so if you want to help those people come up to speed, if you again want to create content for yourself later to go back and refer to it, then creating videos is a great way to do that. Just the other day, I yeah. was making something. I was like, oh, shoot, how do I do this? I totally forget. Oh, I made a video about it. Nice. <laughs> and then went back. I was like, okay, nice. Let's like watch this. That's YouTube some time video. travel right there. You yeah. just watched your past self help your future self. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that, I think that would be a big difference too between live stream, right? It, is that you you could pause the live stream. You can rewatch the recap. But like you said, it's unscripted. It's not going to be super tight. Like, when we did the boot camp, I mentioned this, like we inverted the courses. We started out with lectures in person and then sent everyone home to do the, the project and everyone had the same questions. So we inverted it and did videos as the lectures so they can stop, rewind, go 2X if they need to. And then we'll just answer questions in class and actually work together because then they can watch it as many times as they want and they're not like oh like they don't feel bad asking the same question over and over again because like with your linear algebra example sometimes the lecturer might be explaining it right but you might need to hear it from a different perspective or you know just a different approach and so i might go find multiple content creators and listen to each of their perspectives because someone might do it the hard way someone might do it the middle way and then it's like oh there's actually an easy way to do this and you kind of get like a full world built around that totally and i think that's a great point of encouragement for anyone who's worried about creating content that has already been created by someone else like the video you said about using jot tokens with node right there's you can probably have 20 people make videos about how to use jot tokens with node and they're all going to be a little bit different and so don't be intimidated about creating content that someone else has already made a video about. Just make it your own, do your own take on it. Obviously don't copy exactly what they did, but make your own take <laughs> on it and people will find that useful and you'll find an audience that resonates with your style. So mm -hmm. I would say that the, most of the content that I do find tends to be like build a blog in five minutes or make your first API in rails. Right. And then there's tends to be, a very fast fall off on content after that. Like, how do I secure the API? How do I make it so that I can do OAuth? How do I make the API performant, right? So if you want to be one of these people making content, like the well is deep. And, you know, usually you got to go off from video into back into blog posts and text and docs land to just figure out these more complicated concepts. And I think you guys at Stripe do a really good job of this. And a part of your content video creation is the immense number of videos around very specific things, right? Like this is how you do custom, like special like checkout, right? In this situation or with, uh, you know, how to use payment intents for this reason. And so there's all these very specific things that sure I could go read the docs and then like try to reason around it myself. But sometimes it's just better to see like, oh, this is possible. And now I know I can go and do it versus, you know, a lot of times I might have a, a ticket assigned to me and I have to go check the docs to see if it's even possible before we build it. But if I can go watch a video and see like, well, CJ just did it. So yes, this is how long we think it's going to take us to build. 
obviously a lot of these videos are short, you know, abridged versions. So it's not going to be like, oh, the video is five minutes. It's only going to take us five minutes, but <laughs> you know, famous less words. But yeah. yeah, I think you guys do a really good job of that. And is video your primary content that you create these days? We're trying to experiment with more stuff recently. We're writing some more articles. So we've published a series on dev.2 slash Stripe. I've also written over the years, I've written like a handful of blog posts that I put on my website, but I'm also super interested right now in TikToks and YouTube shorts. So maybe we can yeah, like transition into that. Yeah. So the challenge with YouTube shorts and TikTok is the video now has to be vertical. And that is not how most people look at their <laughs> monitor when they're writing code. <laughs> but there is definitely a trend, especially if you go on TikTok and you look for the hashtag dev talk, or if you yeah go on YouTube and search for developer content inside of the shorts, you'll find there's a lot of people making content for devs in this vertical format. YouTube shorts, there is like a really hard requirement that it is one minute or less. For TikTok, you can go up to 10 minutes, which most of my YouTube videos are under 10 minutes anyways. And so I, yeah, I've been experimenting a lot with like, how can I take this video that I already made for YouTube and edit it into a vertical format and make it useful for TikTok? And it definitely needs to be much tighter on TikTok. Like people's attention span is shorter. They're already in the quickly scrolling through stuff and getting all those dopamine hits. And so you've got to like yeah. provide value in the first three words or something. <laughs> and if not, like people are going to just- And you need so it. many jump cuts, jump cuts and, yeah. and music. I've probably only posted like 30 TikToks, but it's it's definitely something that I'm experimenting with because I, I do think that especially people who are just kind of curious about tech are who are on TikTok already and they're maybe they're learning about how to cut an onion and they're learning about how to, you know, I don't know, how to train their dog or something then they might also land on this stuff. And so providing really beginner Ruby content, like what is, how do you do a hello world? How do you loop over things? How do you, you know, work with arrays? That kind of content seems to do better on TikTok. And mm. then, you know, people, I, my hope is to push people from TikTok over to YouTube for the longer form content. But yeah, if you are, you know, TikTok native and you don't want to go with the YouTube, then I think a lot of people are having a lot of success just popping open their phone and talking to their phone and giving their tips and tricks directly into their phone and then posting that. So, nice. um, so you are seeing people talking and about and maybe even trying to teach like snippets, tips and tricks, kind of like Twitter on TikTok. Cause I've only seen both on TikTok and Instagram and I, I'm not, tiktok native so i'm like i see usually tiktoks through instagram or they get sent to me but like day in the life of a programmer type like lifestyle things that again make it like the edited youtube videos they're like oh look at how perfect my life is and it's like this is not how a day in the life of a programmer goes every day right it's like sure you get to if you're lucky enough to be a remote worker or whatever it's like usually more of like a lifestyle vlogger type content. So are you are seeing more tips and tricks in addition to that type of stuff? Yeah. So there's definitely that style content where it's tips and tricks about, you know, the soft skills. There's also a lot of content that is around like 
how can you be really great at Excel or like, you know, mm. once you do this, this trick inside of Airtable, your boss is going to love you forever or whatever. And then they like show right. you that trick or one person will just like go through and solve leak code problems on TikTok. I like, that's kind of interesting to watch. So I don't know. There, there's a bunch of different ways you can go with it, but yeah, I think the easiest and the lowest barrier to entry is just to pop open your phone and give tips and tricks. But if you want to do screen recording and kind of edit it up and post it, then that's also, I think, pretty successful. So awesome. I think if you are thinking about doing content creation, I hope that this was helpful. I would definitely encourage it. Again, we're podcasting about tech themes and there are many people who have done it before us. So don't let that stop you. Coming up with a, a unique angle is, is probably a good idea, but don't let that stop you from starting. And then I would say probably some things that we've learned is like put it in the calendar. I think you, you have a little bit of a schedule. Can you share that real quick before we wrap up on terms of like how you think about your week and, and how you create content? Yeah, so I generally try to pack all of my meetings for work into Mondays and Tuesdays, and then I spend all of Wednesday recording video, most of Thursday recording video, some of it writing, and then Fridays we're recording podcasts, I'm like doing Twitter spaces, we didn't even talk about Twitter spaces, but yeah. you know, polishing up, editing, getting getting all of that out the door. Awesome. Live, live stream podcasts, right? Or yeah. <laughs> with, with audience <laughs> participation. But yeah, definitely get out there. We'd love to, if you are doing a show, if you have a YouTube or a live stream or a podcast, definitely send it our way. We're going to be putting a bunch of links to some of our favorite podcasts, live streams, YouTubes, TikToks, Instagrams, all those things. So you can check them out. And uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Build and Learn. If you're keen to learn a little bit more, it's kind of a different type of content. Speaking at conferences, then tune in next time. We'll be talking about writing a call for proposals and submitting talks to conferences and how that whole process works if you are keen to get up on stage. Yep. And as always, you can head over to buildandlearn.dev to check out all of these links and resources. That's all for this episode. Thanks again. See you next time. See ya. See ya.